Hello and welcome to the Health Excel podcast with me, Chandana. And uh, Martin here. Today with us, we have Ritesh Patel, uh, the Chief Digital Officer of Ogilvy. Welcome, Ritesh. Thank you. Good, good morning or good afternoon. Uh, good to be here. Great cool. to have you. All right, let's jump into it. So, Ritesh, we've been dying to do this for a while. So, um, we're going to start back in the 80s in East London, uh, where it all began. So, tell us. Uh, uh, you're, you're trying to go... Get- you're trying to get me back to, you know, places in cobwebs that I need to dust off, I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we moved, you know, we moved to England uh, when I was a mere lad from Kenya, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, uh, as old immigrants happen to come into the UK, they end up in the east end of London. Right. Uh, there was the Jewish wave before the Indian wave, and now there's the African wave at the moment that's going on. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, parents were successful in Africa and they had to start again. So as a parent now, I can imagine what they went through. But as a kid, it was a, it was the thing that was imposed on me that I was not very happy about by my parents anyway. So, uh, so growing up, you know, you grew up in a very working class environment. There were a mixture of folks. Most of my friends were mainly, you know, Jamaican or West Indian. Yeah. Uh, large numbers of us used to sort of hang out together. That was the height of the National Front as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, Green yeah. Street. Yeah. So where I lived, uh, down, uh, I lived on, off a main road in Forest Gate, East London, called Green Street. And there's a uh, pub halfway down uh, in the market, which is where uh, the National Front was actually founded. And that's where they used to hang out. So you, know, you go to the market and all these skinheads with, well, with the Dr. Martins and the and the bomber jackets would come out in a costume and tell you to go back to your own country and all that sort of thing. So wow. it's an interesting experience. And that's probably why I left uh, when I got the opportunity the first time around to come to the UK, US to come and work, uh, took the chance because there was nothing going on in the UK at the time. And it was tough. It's amazing, uh, isn't it? You think of how trendy East London is now. And it's yeah. all- it's only 30 years ago that, like, as you described, yeah. we kind of, kind of forget. So, so tell us the path from there to the U.S. Did you, did you go to study in, in the U.S.? Or? No, 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 no. Yeah, I got a job in a hotel and I started off. Uh, my background is really much around hospitality and operations and technology. So I worked for Sheraton at the hotel in Knightsbridge, which is where I got the elocution lessons <laughs> to speak properly. Right. Okay. Uh, because one cannot have a cockney man on the hello gov what's going on right so they sent me off to elocution lessons and i sort of learned to speak a little bit more properly around guests who were checking in the hotel Uh, and then i went to work for a travel agency and the guys who owned the travel agency was a really interesting company in the 80s called hillsdown holdings they'd harry solomon who had started that firm uh, was a leading sort of businessman uh, in the Jewish community in England. Uh, and he was good friends with the guys who owned Granada, uh, Granada TV, etc. Yeah. Um, and they'd started a travel company and decided to open in America. And they needed somebody to come over here to help set it up for the guy who they'd partnered with. So it was supposed to be a short-term gig, you know, come over, help get going. And... Uh, Turned out I stayed. Uh, the company I started to work for uh, was called BPF Travel. And uh, I think I was, I don't know, employee number 10 or something in 1981, 82. 
and 85, we had offices in 43 states, 600 million in revenue. Uh, and he sold the business, the guy who owned it, sold it to American Express. And I ended up at Amex for a little bit. And um, from there, uh, went on to work at Citibank, uh, doing travel, still travel, all oriented. Citibank had just launched ATM machines. And they also had a new company that they created to take advantage of all the data they had on the Visa MasterCard holders. So I headed up a group that was looking at using that data, overlaying it with all sorts of psychographic, demographic data to come up with customized, personalized vacations. So if I knew Martin had just bought a pair of golf clubs, you'd get in your statement, a statement stuffer that encouraged you to go to your local golf place and you get a 50% discount to join it and learn and get two lessons, you know. So pause for a second. How did you get into data and technology back in... How did you go from Knightsbridge? So it was in the yeah, it was in the travel company. So this travel agency was a new model. So in that in those days, um, you had physical operations. So this was corporate travel. So all of the corporations uh, in the U.S. had a travel department that they paid for. It was an overhead cost yep. to arrange the travel for their employees and their executives. Brian Froelich, who was the founder of this firm, was also an attorney and a, and a VP of data processing at ADP. And he saw a thing called Sabre at some event that was being launched by American Airlines. And he sort of said, that's going to completely change the industry. So he started an agency where he consolidated those travel departments. It literally would go to AT&T and say, those 500 people sitting in the call center in Piscataway, New Jersey, I'll take them on as employees. You don't have to have them anymore on your books. I take them on. I book, they'll stay there. They'll remain in Piscataway in the building. I'll pay you rent. I pay their salaries, but the revenue comes to me. And then I'll give you a check at the end of the year of a commission. Um, And the model was you consolidate everything, centralize it, use computers, and you can make it up in volume. And that's what we did. So completely disrupted the travel business. Um, he would literally, he'd go out on the road to go call on clients and he'd get a call every day. I just signed up Wells Fargo, just signed up AT&T, just signed up Campbell's Soup, just signed up Hughes Aircraft. <laughs> it was just like, we'd get the call, Brian's at it again, you know, <laughs> typical Irish entrepreneur that he was. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I started learning computers. So I did a deal with him. I basically said, look, during the day, I'll do the work. And in the evenings, I want to learn and teach myself how to do these machines that are coming into the offices. Um, so I taught myself how to program, uh, learned, uh, focus, IBM, uh, learned Sabre, then TWA came out with Apollo, uh, PARS and then United came out with Apollo and Galileo. And so every time a new system came in, I was the guy that was given the book and said, off you go, figure out how to make it work. Brilliant. So, Brilliant. What a, I haven't what even noticed some of these programs. <laughs> <laughs> What, what prompted you to go into, like what prompted you to go into healthcare because it's probably 30 we're probably 30 years behind the travel industry yeah yeah it's a complete fluke so you know the we came back to the uk for a while i was at uh, it uh, running it at forte hotels in the uk and then the dot-com boom happened and i came back to the us to work for agency.com yeah which is a big agency at the time uh, through that, I'd met a young lady who worked at Conan Wolf PR, where we they called us up one day and said, look, we need some help. Ten years later, I had just finished a job as the uh, rolling out the global CRM system for Cushman and Wakefield. 
and a new CIO had come in and sort of got rid of all the old management. So plan was to sit on the sofa and watch the Euros <laughs> in 2008, right? And drink yeah. beer. And I got a call from this young lady who's now a managing director at Chandler Kiko PR and said, look, I remember you from 10 years ago. Uh, we need a head of digital. And I said, look, I know nothing about healthcare and nothing about PR. Yeah. Um, and her response was, we've got 400 people who know PR and healthcare. We've got nobody who knows digital. Just wow. as a favor, come and have a chat. And one of the good things that's been in, in my career is uh, good mentors. So yeah. Bob Chandler, who ran Chandler Kiko, must have seen something because the 30-minute conversation turned into a two-hour interview with a job at the end of it as the new head of digital for Chandler Kiko PR, uh, which was owned by Inventive. And very quickly, you know, within a, a year, uh, I also started doing stuff with the CRO. Inventive owned the Inventive CRO. They owned Chandler Kiko, GSW Advertising, Palio Advertising, Ignite. They had a big outsource pharma sales rep business. Um, so it was a mini conglomerate of all things healthcare. It was founded by a guy whose father was the CEO of Cardinal. Okay. So that was 2009. That's how I got into it. My first week, I was literally my first week there. I was sent to uh, DC to listen in on the FDA hearings for the use of social media in healthcare. And, you know, met the, the OGs of social media in pharma, Shwengui, uh, Brad Pendergraft, Mark Monso, John Pugh from BI. Yeah. We're all hanging out together in a corner because they're the only ones who had a modem that you can <laughs> access to get access to the internet, right? Uh, and wow. that's how we got going. So, yeah, first client was BI. We uh, went to a pitch in November of 2009 where we pitched a program called Drive for COPD. And I had YouTube, Twitter, Facebook group, uh, videos, a handheld with an app, all sorts of things. Yeah. And BI, being brave as they are, said, right, we'll take it all. Do it everything. Can you actually do that legally? I'm like, sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Well, your, head, uh, your head must have been spinning coming from the travel industry and your old boss gone around signing up companies day by day to uh, into the into the world of regulation and healthcare and pharma rules and all that type of stuff in Washington. So it's not that, that, but you know, I, I did a stint in banking as you remember, City uh, Citibank and Amex. Mm -hmm. So the financial services industry is similar in a way, you know, from a regulatory perspective. So mm -hmm. it really wasn't as you know, people kept telling me, you know, it's going to be tough. Uh, one of my friends worked at. Group DCA, uh, which was a big agency in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, we used to work together at an agency, and I remember calling her, and she says, oh, lots and lots of regulations. It's going to be really difficult. But it's not really. You know, it's a set of rules. And, you know, what surprised me the most was my first review with a company in Indianapolis. I flew out there to review with the medical legal team. I expected them to come in with, you know, books of laws that you can look through and all that sort of stuff. And we're showing this website we're going to build for them. And there was, there was a doctor, a, a legal person, and a junior person. And the doctor would turn to the medical person and say, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's allowed. We could do that. And the, the medical person was like, look, let's get this going. I've got a three o'clock golf thing I've got to get to. Right. And that's when I said, you know what? This isn't as difficult as people make it out to be. So, 
So we're going to dive in. So thanks for your backstory. We're going to dive in a little bit and Chan's going to lead this part of it around, you know, the use of digital and, and, and social to connect, whether, mm. whether it's to physicians or whether it's to patients. And you're doing a lot of work both in the developed world and the developing world. So Chanda, do you want to jump in? Yeah, but I feel like we missed a really important piece. Um, uh -uh. The, the soul funk DJ gig that you do on the side. Like, I actually listened to one of your sets that Martin shared with me, and it was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, my wife rolls her eyes every Sunday when I start doing the playlist and start <laughs> jumping about in the kitchen, you know, so... Um, that's from growing up in London. You know, one of my best friends, George, who's uh, Dominican, has, was a DJ. I used to go uh, help out and hang out and uh, play with him. And uh, it's a passion. Uh, I always had it. And when things got a bit crazy, maybe four years ago, I was really working hard. I said, got to have a break of something. I used to play soccer, but the knees gave away. So got to find something else. And um, started to do a radio show. Initially, it was about an hour. Uh, and as more and more listeners came on, they were like, hey, this sends too quickly. So now it's two hours of, uh, it's yeah. good. It's good solace. You think through it and then you lose yourself in your music for two hours on a Sunday afternoon. It's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. all back from growing up in the East End of London with, uh, with the Soul Boys. Right? Well, there's, a whole nice. separate, there's a whole separate podcast that we're going to do, Chandana. Uh, I'm going to do a Ritesh about Northern Soul and 60 Soul. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't bore you. I like listening to it. I may not know as much anyway in terms of background and stuff, so I'll leave you guys to it. Sure. Um, but Ritesh, this is so interesting, right? So I feel like all people we speak to normally, there's a bit more kind of healthcare background, and I think not even having that baggage, for lack of a better word, I think provides like a whole fresh perspective. And um, you've probably been answering the same questions for decades because you've answered it at the start in the travel industry and now healthcare is just kind of uh, maybe catching up. So do you feel like because of COVID, it's almost um, we're at this inflection point where people are more open to using, say, social media, to using and leveraging other tech tools to help consumers and patients get better access to whether it's care information whatever it might be yeah so i i call it forced digital it's not an adoption or an adapt adapting it you're forced to do it you have to do it uh the lockdown has created all sorts of craziness in the health system whether you're a hospital, you're a patient, you're a pharma company, you're a medical device company, it doesn't matter. You know, you are now being forced to look at new ways of engaging with your customers, your patients, whatever it is. So uh, we sort of coined this term uh, called forced digital and how do you now work in this forced digital environment you're in? If you look at pharma, literally in, in, in within one week, their entire sales force was followed. So now you've got a group of people, thousands and thousands of people who are out there talking to customers on a daily basis, sitting at home. What do you do? Right. So the first thing pharma did, as they usually do, is one person did something and everybody else followed, which is Viva Engage emails. Right. So Viva must be killing it at the moment. But if I'm the doctor at the receiving end, I'm now getting emails from 20 reps. Right. right. <laughs> um, 
same with the hospitals it doesn't matter where you're in the world you know how are you going to you've got this massive increase in intake of patients with a very serious disease that is deadly but you've also got a group of patients who routine dialysis routine cancer care infusions how are you going to take care of those people uh, they're not even wanting to come into the building because right. of the fear of catching this so they're now being forced to look at you know, all of the health system clients I work with, the big thing is how do I take my health system and put it in the house? Yeah. Uh, you know, Mount Sinai at home, Geisinger at home, you know, Banner Health at home, you know. Yeah. So you're being forced to think. And so those guys who are doing digital, you know, I, I, um, three months ago, I got a call from a client I hadn't spoken to in two years uh, from India. And they said, hey, I remembered you presenting on a stage two years ago in Germany. Um, we would love to have you present again, and we'd like to do everything you said. And I said, well, I did about 12 things on that deck. Said, yeah, we want to do all 12. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> and so here I am, you know, I think a week ago, presenting to the executive team in India at four in the morning, my time. And, you know, that's exactly what's going on. So I think it's being forced. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe just picking up on what you said there, I think this is, it's so interesting uh, about the new um, sales force that has suddenly been freed up. You know, what do you think the, the pharma sales force of the future looks like? I mean, are we thinking they won't exist? If they exist, are they going to be your WhatsApp buddies? Um, you know, does the doctor get to choose who they want to talk to and, you know, at a point in time when they really need that information? So, any thoughts on where that's really headed? Um, I think it'll be a hybrid model if they are smart. I use the last three, three words very quickly and carefully. If they are <laughs> smart. Um, we've seen an adoption. So here's where, where it's gone today. So you've got Viva Engage emails, which are transaction oriented. I send you an email as a doctor to remind you I'm here. I send you an email to remind you that I have a product. I send you an email to remind you that you can still prescribe these things. Um, Nobody is going in there looking at it from a relationship perspective. I was, when I first joined the healthcare industry, I was baffled as to why somebody would spend $300,000 on an iPad application to give to a rep. We made the rep an iPad carrying messenger, not a relationship sales manager, right? And so I think we may go back to take the big accounts that you have and actually do proper account management. Uh, yeah. these are the big guys. So we're going to have a relationship with them. We're going to manage them as accounts properly. These are the people we need to call on and maybe we'll use a hybrid model of outbound and maybe digital. These are the people who'd maybe prescribe our product once or twice a year. Let's just give them digital. We'll give them access to a bot or to websites or whatever. The two yeah. things that need to die very, very quickly is that iPad e-detail and the cost of doing that because nobody cares. And they've found that out now, right? Yeah. It's showing the COVID has given us the holes in our, in our business models. The other one is the brand.com website. The brand.com is only for the brand manager and for the employees of the company. The doctor doesn't care. Most of the doctors yeah. don't go to brand.com. Yeah. Right? So, so why spend another? If you take those two pieces alone for a major brand, you're looking at nigh or north of a million dollars a year. Wow. Take that million and put it somewhere else to manage the relationship in a new way. So look at what Merck's done in Canada, askmerck.ca, which is literally a chatbot 
that gives you medical information about their products, the hits have gone through the roof, through the roof since COVID, because the doctors are like, wait, I can get dosing information on demand on my phone when I want it. Rock on. I don't have to go to Keytruda.com, go find the HCP section, go find the page that has dosing, you know, all of that stuff. It doesn't exist. So So I think it'll be a hybrid model. Yeah, I think that's it. And you pretty much addressed where I was going to ask you. This obviously frees up a huge part of money and, you know, what could they potentially uh, invest that in? And this is exactly right. Like I know for a fact, um, lots of doctors uh, in clinical practice are just like WhatsApping each other and sending texts to to kind of validate or just get some opinions from each other. So why not bring it to where they're at? Um, so yeah, that makes complete sense. And you did mention the FDA earlier. Do you think, and I'm sure you've heard, there's been um, huge kind of acceleration, I guess, of uh, whether it's you know regulatory frameworks, all the you can go through all the stages much faster now. Um, and at least during COVID, but do you think this is here to stay or do you feel like a lot of these will just be rolled back at the end of this and we go back to square one again? I think what we'll do is, and you know, I've seen the evidence already, those things that are working that are actually improving things will stay. So if there's, there's a new process that we've created that enables a digital therapeutic to get fast-tracked because there is a evidence there to show that there's a capability, I think the FDA will keep going, right? Because yeah. that's beneficial. Where it's not beneficial or it's going to be a detriment, I think they'll stop. You know, telehealth, everybody's talking about telehealth. You know, um, and will it stay? And the answer is absolutely, I'll say. The Pandora's box has been opened and Congress, there's a couple of congressmen who've already put bills together to continue uh, the relaxation of the rules around telemedicine in the US. So I don't think it's going away. And I think the Geisingers of this world who operate rural hospitals are going to see telemedicine as a way of continuing to provide care in those rural markets without a building, right? Yeah. So they're going to push to keep it as well. Uh, CMS has already said that they will keep the reimbursement model for Medicare and Medicaid and mm -hmm. keep the code so that doctors will be able to bill their time and charge for it for internet advisory. So all of those things are here to stay, I think. Uh, so I think the rules will remain where they will be helpful to continue and deliver care or continue to deliver new products and services. Uh, I don't think that's going to go away, actually. Yeah, that's that's really promising, isn't it? And and yeah, I guess as long as so. people who need to make who are making money by being in the business of healthcare continue to make money, I guess there's no reason yeah. why any of these have to be rolled back. Yeah, I think the issue will be it's actually at the consumer level, right? Think about this: all the industries you look at shopping, you look at delivery services, you know things that people there was a generation that was using them. Uh, now everybody is using them, right? I talked to a doctor the other day who said, you know what, until my daughter showed me how to FaceTime or do this thing on this iPad, I never would have used it. But now I know how it works and now I know it really does work. Is a GP. He said, I'm going to move 50% of my routine things onto this platform because I know it works, right? And it's only because I've been sitting at home and I press a button and food arrives at my door and I press a button and some shopping arrives at my door and I know that works. So yeah. my, my, re, my requirement is going to go up around these kinds of things because in my personal life, I've seen they work really, really well. 
Do you see yeah. a difference between what's happening in, you mentioned India earlier, uh, you know, you're working in other markets. Do you see a big difference between the US and other, other parts of the world? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So if you looked at, you know, the five markets I work in pretty extensively, unfortunately, is uh, the only place I don't do anything is in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, it's just too far away. I have to get up too early or stay up too late. Uh, <laughs> But you know, well, they, well, I guess New Zealand has the benefit of an amazing leader, so they're yeah, they're exactly. Doing <laughs> They've done well. So yeah. let's let's. So the U.S. is really being forced and is kicking and screaming, getting there, but it's getting there. Latin America has adopted WhatsApp as the core tool. WhatsApp is everywhere. It's in their personal lives, and they just started to move it to their professional lives, right? And so doctors are on WhatsApp everywhere telemedicine is booming if you look at argentina brazil mexico colombia just launched doctor doc new startups coming in launching these new telemedicine babylon like platforms if you're familiar with babylon which is yeah. one of the pioneers of this stuff so mexico's got one now doctor consulta argentina's got one brazil's got one argentina's clingo i think uh, Brazil is Dr. Consulta, MediIQ, uh, Dr. Doc, all of these new platforms are coming in uh, for providing telemedicine, concierge medicine kind of services, right? And it's D2C. Uh, exactly. Right. Exactly. UK, you've got the NHS now. Patients Know Best is finally, you know, I met Mohammed when he started that business in 2009, believe it or not. Yeah. He spoke at an event that I ran for Chandra Kiko in London called Digital Pioneers. And I remember him talking about this vision he had for patients know best. I sent him an email last week when he got finally approved to be the first app to integrate with your personal health record with the NHS. So, you know, it's taken him 10 years to get there. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I, mean, I, I met him at Seed Camp probably around yeah. a year later, you know, uh, and yeah. like, such a charismatic guy with all that. And it, yeah. 10 years and it's taken COVID. Yeah to really break through it's amazing exactly so i think europe is going that route so they're being a little bit more the single payer markets are being a little bit more uh dictatorial about it you know you will have this this is how we're going to do uh asia you know the the pockets of innovation you've got china with pingan and good doctor doing some good things with wechat uh but you know indonesia's got go uh good doctor uh sorry uh, hello doc hello doc um, yeah. yeah. So you've got these models coming through. India has been interesting in working in India. You've got new social media groups opening up more than anything else. So while telemedicine is starting, what they did very, very quickly was the doctors moved to WhatsApp very, very quickly. So yeah. they are doing exactly Chandana what you were saying, right? There is no central EHR capability. There are pockets of EHRs, clinics, some private companies have created Android-based cheap EHRs for some of those rural clinics, that sort of thing. Uh, but the social networks, DocPlexus, things like that, have really taken off. Uh, figure one, which has been around for about five years, you know, figure one is the, I call it the Instagram for doctors, right? You post yeah. your case, you get experts crowdsourcing your, your knowledge. Uh, they're booming in those markets at the moment. Yeah. And then Africa, Ghana, particularly Ghana, Botswana, Rwanda are really changing that delivery of care and you'll see new models. The one thing I haven't seen in India is this, and I asked the question of our India office, where's Reliance in all this? Because whenever there's a sniff of making money, Reliance is all over it, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, so, I guess... 
in their defense, I suppose they've given a huge uh, contribution towards uh, the funding of different initiatives. But yeah, that's a good point. Owning a lot of the telecommunications infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. But it's recent, uh, they recently got joint ventures. They put a joint venture together between Facebook, Google, and I think it's called Joy or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's their Geo, stepping yeah. stone into geo there you go geo and geo. that's their stepping stone into healthcare i watch that space yeah my bet is geo is going to be become the new sort of healthcare provider for the patients it's an I interesting it's an interesting observation because it is very hard to make money in healthcare you know so yeah. you get uh, all the efforts that amazon are doing like you started yeah. travel it's probably we were talking yesterday with steve Krauss at bessemer and he was saying like Healthcare is 30 years behind a lot of other industries yeah. in terms of the disruption, you know, uh, and it's inc still incredibly hard to, ma to make money dis despite the fact that we spend so much on it. So I'm interested when you look around the world, you know, where are the, who, who do you think is leading? We've kind of touched on a little bit. It's been a really nice kind of flavor for what's going on, but who do you, which countries or, or, or companies do you think are really leading in you know around the world and what can the us and what can europe learn from that and maybe the second question is um do you see any of them doing it internationally you, you know because healthcare is so localized apart from pharma do you see any of these digital companies actually being truly international or, or what's your take on that sorry two big questions there yeah no no it's all good you know you you can go two ways on the first question do you go the what's now dubbed as FAMGA, right? You know, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple. Or do you go the local route? And if you do, then Ping An and, and Good Doctor in China are doing a tremendous job uh, in changing the model of delivery of care. You look at the Ping An pods that are now appearing, these little red kiosks all over China, right? So there's a model that they've figured out, which is the Ping An, the payer, coming into a market and adding services to that payer model. Gojek has done the same thing in Indonesia and Malaysia, where they're using the Gojek infrastructure, the Gojek wallet infrastructure, and partnering with AXA to come up with a payer model that provides services. So I think it's the payers that are the ones that are benefiting at the moment, but and rightly so, they're the guys who've got the payment mechanism for healthcare. And so why not? And I think if you want to use an example of a good uh, way of engaging delivery of care, changing it and making money, then the Ping An Good Doctor model is a really good one because they took a startup, married it with a massive insurance company to come up with a new distribution model for healthcare yeah. and delivery of healthcare and payment of healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so that's really interesting. And in terms really of market, it sounds like China and Asia. Oh, yeah. For sure. for sure, for okay. sure, for sure, for okay. sure. You know, the single payer markets are different. Their models are different. You know, the, the German, UK, French, you know, models where you've got a single payer uh, uh, monolith. Uh, that's not about making money. That's about delivering of care and managing the expense. Where the money make, you know, where the freer markets like China, India, uh, I am, I'm con convinced Reliance will come up with a model for India for sure. It has to happen. Okay. Uh, so look for that. And then uh, uh, in the US, I think it really has gone down to those big guys. Apple is going to rule the world. You know, the device that we have has all of the pipes. 
with the open data rules that have been put in place in the US that went live, the law went live March 5th, I think. So now legally, Epic cannot deny you access to their data legally. Yeah. You can sue them. So just look, in the next 18 months, I think you're going to have a bunch of innovators coming in around using that data in the EHR right. here in the US. And the explosion of access to you and your medical record. If I move a doctor today here in the US, if I go from one GP to another, it is nigh on impossible for me to get my record from my previous GP to give it to the new GP. Yeah. Literally impossible, right? Yep. And I think the open data rule will change all that. So, uh, so I think, you know, so Apple definitely, and they're putting in the pipes and the infrastructure with the devices all the way down to health kit, care kit, research kit, et cetera. Amazon's going to stick with their supply chain. All this Haven's going to change the world and Atul Gwandi is going to be the king of healthcare. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Amazon's going to go back to how can we deliver prescriptions in a box to you as, as well as we could do everything Thank else. Yeah. Uh, my Microsoft's gone into tech, you know, they're open sourcing a lot of their tech and allowing others to use it, particularly the AI models and algorithms for delivery of care, discovery of molecules, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's interesting there. Uh, Google will remain on search. I think, you know, David's been very clear, Feinberg, that it's going to be, how do I leverage the might of Google's engineering capacity to do things? So the only outlier there is DeepMind and what do you do with that, particularly with the partnership with the NHS. Yeah. Uh, and then Facebook, you know, communities. We've got people. Yeah. Let's get, raise awareness, right? Let's use our power of the community. If you log on to Facebook in the morning, see a little banner ad about COVID, keep safe, you know, do these things. Yeah. So they're using their algorithms to educate you and create communities around you. But, you know, so the money-making side of all of that is Amazon is obviously prescriptions. They're now buying, you know, PillPack gave them the capability to do this. So specialty pharmacies where they're going to make their money. No question, right? Yeah. Microsoft is all about software licensing. Yeah. They're stay, staying tech, uh, etc. On the startup side, you know, there are there are glimpses. Omada, Livongo here in the US have gone public and exits for the VCs. But, you know, they're not making as much money as the unicorns were supposed to. Uh, so I think that's going to be the hard part here is um, who are the ones, you know, the guys I track like Gail, you know, the guys who created the digital first aid kit out in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It's a great product. And if you could just take the echo stethoscope out of it yeah. and replace it with the cheaper stethmio from Poland, um, yeah. put the Kinza thermometer in there put the Alive Core Cardio Mobile 6-lead EKG in there and the Omron blood pressure cup in there. You've now got four really distinct products. Put it in a kit, send it to a patient, brand it Mount Sinai, and now you've got remote monitoring of a patient, right? And I'm surprised they haven't done something like that because then you can sell those kits till the cows come home. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's a bit of a world tour there from from. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not sure where, where to where to start, but uh, that's been really interesting. And we were we had a uh, lunch yesterday, and Esther Dyson was on, and we were asking people about geographies they're investing in, and Esther's always ahead of the ahead of the curve, or always on the risk capital side. She was talking about investing in African companies, which I thought was interesting. Yep. So yeah. Ghana is booming. Nigeria is booming. One of the things that, are, you know, the lockdown has actually expanded my mind in one way, which is the BBC News is on the telly behind me all day. And at 1030 every morning, they have a show called Focus on Africa. And they literally highlight a country. 
and you yeah. see some of the things that are going on and you just go, whoa, I never knew that, right? And so I think Esther's on a, on a good bet there. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So we could talk all, all morning, um, but uh, I know you have other, other meetings and other uh, Zoom calls to, to take, Ritesh. We, um, we're delighted you're going to join us on the 2nd of September. Um, so both. Yeah, for looking forward to it. Yeah. Musical skills as well. And also going to entertain us. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, now, good. you've got to get a playlist in, Martin. You know, yeah, come on, you've got to get your requests in. And you we, can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like that there should be go. a USB for the event. Each yeah. person who attends right. to send a wish list. Yeah, yeah. there you go. And we'll pick one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Ritesh, we have our final question, which is our favorite question that we ask every guest. If not what you're doing right now, what do you think you'd be doing with, with your time and your life? Simple, running a bar in the beach in Jamaica. <laughs> Sounds like a dream. <laughs> Why are you not I'm, doing that? <laughs> I have not, you know, no qualms about it. I've been saying it for years. If I didn't have, you know, all this stuff, I'd be on a beach in Jamaica serving up drinks and decent curry. Oh, I love it. I love mm -hmm. it. And decent music. Okay, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, that's, that's a lot of fun. And as I say, we could talk all, all morning, all afternoon, Ritesh. But people will get a chance to hear you at the, at the session uh, on 2nd of September and also yeah. hear, you, hear your lovely music. So thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Take care.